I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth in Mission. Attacks against Asian people have increased dramatically during the COVID-19 pandemic. New stories of random attacks in the Bay Area seem to hit the news every day, including an attack on an Asian man on Market Street on Monday. The Asian community is also reeling from the killing of eight people, including six Asian victims at massage parlors in the Atlanta area on Tuesday. Cecilia Lay is a producer for Vox and the president of the local chapter of the Asian American Journalists Association. She's here to talk about how the attacks are affecting her and her family and to weigh in on how journalists can cover the attacks more effectively. Cecilia Lay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So um, a big news week yet again. Um, a white gunman was charged on Wednesday with killing eight people, seven of them women and six of them of Asian descent at three massage parlors in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And meanwhile, more stories of Asian people getting attacked here in the Bay, Bay Area keep hitting the news every day. And I was wondering if we could just start by you talking about what it's like um, as a woman of Asian descent to hear these stories over and over again. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I think over time you think that you would develop a level of being numb to these stories, but it, it hasn't really happened yet. And, uh, you know, like when everything started surging in the Bay Area, I think like for me and for other young Asian Americans, I think the first person we thought of were our grandparents and our parents who go about their days running their errands in Chinatown and different places around the Bay Area. And so the concern, you know, immediately is for the people we love the most. And then over time that that the the concern has grown larger and it's about the community and these latest attacks feel like an escalation that I think we all have been bracing for and I think it's also uh, along with the shock and the the disbelief and the fear, there's also just this terrible sense of, I kind of knew this mm-hmm. was going to happen or something like this was going mm-hmm. to happen. And I think particularly as an Asian American woman, there are threads to this latest event that mm-hmm. ring true for, I think, a lot of young Asian American women or Asian American mm-hmm. women in general. And your family immigrated from China before you were born and settled in Chinatown, although they don't live there anymore. They're elsewhere in the Bay Area, but um, you still have close ties to the neighborhood. And what are you hearing and sensing about how people are feeling in Chinatown itself? I mean, there's a lot of fear. And, uh, you know, I Chinatown to me holds just this very special place in my heart. You know, my grandfather was one of those guys you saw in Portsmouth Square playing checkers. That Aww. was his, that was that. where he hung out until he passed away. You know, that was his community. Uh, that was where he felt safe. And, you know, up until the pandemic, Chinatown is where I, you know, meet my grandmother for for dim sum. And it's a place I return to for uh, a sense of connection to my culture. And so, uh, you know, the conversations actually I've been having with my family have been interesting. And I think it kind of shows a generational uh, gap, you know, like with 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 me, this is outrageous. This is unfair. And I think for my parents who did immigrate decades ago, uh, also have a different perspective where they're under- they came to this country understanding that they, w- they would be seen as outsiders. And for someone, you know, I was born and raised in the Bay Area. Uh, I don't have that same sense of acceptance. And I don't, I don't think my parents are accepting of it, but I think that this is all, well, 
of course, this is part of our experience. And I think that's a generational difference compared to someone like me. Have any of your friends or family or you yourself um, suffered this kind of hate and racism recently? I know it's um, it was, it's always been a problem, of course, but it's picked up a lot during the COVID-19 pandemic. Thankfully not. I think, you know, uh, I think my sister had one, one incident. She lives down in Los Angeles, but I think, you know, one day she was walking out of the grocery store and someone, or no, she was just walking to her car. And I think someone yelled at her to put on her mask, even though she wasn't the only person who wasn't, didn't have a mask on. So she felt targeted that way, but no, I thankfully, and I, I, you know, every day I think, I have gratitude that this hasn't happened directly to anyone I personally know. Do you feel frightened at all walking around the Bay Area knowing, you know, these random attacks have happened, you know, sometimes multiple a day? I I do. And it's, I mean, my, my saving grace during the pandemic is taking evening walks and hikes. It's what I do. It's, <laughs> it's how I clear my head. It's how I stay sane. And especially, you know, in recent weeks, I've been a lot more aware of just, is it getting dark out? Who's around me? I'll cross to the other side if there's other folks, you know, just around, you know, like I kind of want to be around people rather than be walking alone. Um, I am aware of who I am and who I am in relation to people. And I think that there's a newness to that sense of identity that I don't think I've had uh, thankfully, up, up until now, mm-hmm. actually. You're also a producer with Vox and the president of the San Francisco chapter of the Asian American Journalists Association. And wearing that hat, I wondered if you could um, share your opinion of how these hate crimes have been portrayed in the media, both nationally and at the local level. It's It's been really challenging. And I think, you know, I am very glad to see that there's been so much attention on the Asian American community. I'm grateful for it. I don't think, at least in my lifetime, I've seen this much attention on what's happening and why is the Asian American community in pain. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, But, you know, being born and raised in the Bay Area, I think we have a unique lens and perspective into these dynamics that I think national media doesn't have. And I think some of this coverage has lacked a lot of that context And I think, you know, local organizers on the ground, community activists have been working hard, you know, even before this pandemic to build really strategic relationships around community, between communities around solidarity. And so, you know, even calling something a hate crime deserves a lot of nuance. And I know that is triggering for a lot of people. I think people think there's this backdrop of anti-Asian sentiments. This is obviously happening. We're seeing this happen. Uh, But I think coverage that isolates these incidences without understanding the context that, you know, for example, you know, different communities of color live next to each other all the time. Um, There's always been increased crime around Lunar New Year, things like that. So I think local coverage has maybe tapped into these nuances maybe better than national, um, national media has. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. And how can the media move past um, reporting on each individual attack, which um, can kind of be numbing to contextualizing this in a broader way? Do you have any recommendations on doing that? I mean, the, the, the guidance that like the Asian American Journalists Association 
uh, gives is just please provide context as much as you can every time there is an incident. But this is also what's really hard is because there isn't a ton of coverage on the Asian American Mm -hmm. community in general. And so, you know, if these incidences, for example, were reported alongside other kinds of Asian American community stories, um, perhaps maybe that would brought in the context of how people are understanding what's happening. But these stories in themselves are are standing alone. And I I don't know, I think what I would love to see is just increased different kinds of diverse mm-hmm. stories affecting Asian Asian Americans so that these stories aren't the only representation of what's happening in our community. You know, like just this past week, um, you know, the ICE deported 30 I think more than 30 Vietnamese deportees, Mm -hmm. you know, and Southeast Asian communities have been fighting for visibility on deportation issues. And that, you know, community activists say that's a form of violence and oppression that uh, doesn't get enough attention. And so uh, I don't know, how, how do we how do we make media coverage more contextualized around this issue when media coverage broadly isn't covering so many different diverse stories about what's happening in the Asian American mm-hmm. community. Of course, the start is just to have more diverse newsrooms. Um, but that's, you know, a longer term goal. I know we have that as a major goal at the Chronicle and are making strides in achieving it. But do you have any other tips for journalists on the day to day beat, you know, covering these stories now? You know, as someone who's actually like doing this right now, you know, in a newsroom, I would say it's just so important to for editors to just really give space to reporters to think through their ideas uh think through the sources of their stories and you know sometimes the 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 playbook the rules that newsrooms usually follow don't really apply when we're doing newer stories like this and for reporters you know i think it's just so important to have your people in your corner, whether that's in your newsroom or a network like AJA, your fellow colleagues from J school, whoever it may be, because that support is absolutely essential because what is happening is so many times we are making sense of these stories for ourselves as we're also trying to make sense of them mm-hmm. for our editors or our newsrooms. And that dynamic is exhausting. Yeah. It is, a, it's, it's a, burden um, to try Mm -hmm. to do both Mm -hmm. at the same time. On top of everybody being exhausted already from (laughs) the past year and the pandemic. Right. Who are your people? You said, you know, we all need to have our our people as journalists. Who do you lean on? Yeah. You know, it was interesting just the other night. uh, I'm very thankful for this. And it's it's a gift that AJA has given me. But I was on a Zoom Zoom call with um, two previous uh, presidents who held my position before and another board member. And there we just we just talked about the challenges of being a journalist right now and feeling this all personally. And then there's just also just strategies. How do you um, how do you navigate a newsroom strategically to make these stories sing and to make them stand out and for them to be nuanced and to not let them play into mainstream narratives? Uh, yeah, I'm grateful for that cohort, and I'm also just grateful for. Uh, you know, other I've I, I you know as someone who considers herself uh, more of an early career journalist, even uh, I've been willing to just reach out to people and like, hey, I saw you do this story. I'd love to know how you did it, and I've built connections that way, and that's been so valuable and beneficial for me personally. 
And overall, why do you think these attacks are happening in more numbers? Um, What are the reasons for this uptick in crime against Asian people? I mean, I think the most obvious example we can point to is the the rhetoric that Trump made. Um, There is something there. I mean, it's, it's an undeniable part of why we've seen Asians being scapegoated for the coronavirus, uh, why the coronavirus is even being named as people are being attacked. And then there's a direct link there. Uh, But, you know, Trump didn't do anything new. A lot of these sentiments trace back to the very beginning of the Asian American experience in this country. Um, You know, the from the very first time uh, Asians landed in the U.S., we've been seen as foreigners, as carriers of disease. And that's something that the Bay Area has, uh, the it's part of our Bay Area history even. Um, so, I mean, I think that what Trump said is just a, a byproduct of something that's been history in the making for a really long time. And I think you know, uh, so so many of the narratives and the way that Asians are stereotyped uh, persist to this day. And, you know, people look at the model minority myth as uh, a reason why we, we are invisible or overlooked. And I think that's true. But I think invisibility is a big part of this. I think when attacks happen or racism happens, it doesn't feel like it's consequential enough if we're always seen as foreigners or different or just strangers. And uh, yeah, I, I think that this is just not a surprising thing for a lot of people, but this huge surge is indicative of where we are at currently in this moment where things are, it's a confluence of mm-hmm. so many things. Is anything being done by the Biden administration or other politicians or journalists or anybody else in you're aware of giving you hope that we can overcome this racism? I think I am. I think I am most, I I think I feel most hopeful when I see the efforts made by community activists who are really stressing solidarity between uh, communities of color right now. I think that is where racial justice movements move forward when we're able to find parallels in how we're fighting white supremacy and racism. Um, And, you know, I think lawmakers, big public figures have made some statements and that's good for getting attention. But I think in terms of finding actual solutions and how we move forward, I look to the people who've been on the ground for a long time and who have been um, talking about these issues even before videos went viral. So um, yeah, I I look to the community activists and I look to take their lead in terms of where community solutions lie. And um, for anybody wondering what they can do themselves or somewhere to read about this or any any suggestions? I would say just, I got to say, just support your Asian American Mm -hmm. journalists because I think what we're doing in this moment right now, especially ones who are aware of the fact that this coverage is also an opportunity to teach the history that's not taught Mm -hmm. in classrooms. And there's so many good writers and journalists out there that are trying to do this work. Um, I'll shout shout out uh, Rachel Ramirez at Vox Media, who just did a wonderful piece about, um, you know, Asian and Black communities living side by side and why racial dynamics are tough there. Um, 
you know, there's so many different kinds of writers that are doing the work that I think are public school classrooms and teachers that did not do. And it's all out there mm-hmm. on Google. If you, if you just have the, um, have the curiosity to learn more. And I really hope that people do. And I would, I will also say this, that, you know, there isn't a singular Asian American experience. We're such a big, mm-hmm. big group. And I think some of a lot of these complexities uh, sometimes boils down to that, that very simple fact that some of the challenges in trying to get a perspective on this issue or a take on this issue is that you're going to get multiple takes because you're talking to different ethnic groups with different socioeconomic conditions, uh, different immigration patterns in their family, uh, different generations. It's just, there's just a lot of takes on this. Um, And I would even say, and I think there's a racial reckoning happening as we know from last summer with the George Floyd protests, but I would say there's also a reckoning going on within the Asian American community because there's a lot of us who don't agree on how do we talk about these issues. Is it about centering policing? Is it going the social justice route and looking at the ways that community activists are tackling this? You know, um, so I would say when I when I urge people to learn the history, I think that applies also within the Asian American community because. We tend to be a collection of experiences that don't, aren't really informed by one another, even though the mainstream population lumps mm-hmm. us together. And I think that there's a ton of us who don't know the complex histories that trace all the way back. So I would motivate or urge people to learn their own histories so that we can talk about it with other people, too. Great. Well, that's a great point. Thank you so much for coming on Fifth Admission today. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you to Cecilia Lay for joining me today, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and to you for listening.